deliverance comes. And so that's what we're going to look at tonight. So we're going to look tonight at Psalm 18, verses 7 to 19. I know that sounds like an awful lot of verses for me to normally get through, but I promise we will get through them tonight. Uh, there's a gr- don't, don't laugh at that. Ah, see, listen to that. That's all right. She's the nice lady that puts out the bulletins, by the way, so that's all. Anyway, Psalm 18 tonight, verses 7 to 19. I want to read it for us. We'll pray and ask the Lord just to bless this time. Let me back up to verse 6. How about that? In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God, and He heard my voice out of His temple, and my cry came before Him even unto His ears. I'm going to back up to verse 1. I'm sorry. <laughs> there we go. It, it, it'll help. It'll help. I will love Thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust. My buckler, the horn of my salvation, my high tower. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and so shall I be saved from my enemies. The sorrows of death compassed me. The floods of ungodly men made me afraid. The sorrows of hell compassed me about. The snares of death prevented me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord, and cried unto my God. He heard my voice out of His temple, and my cry came before Him even into His ears. I heard that before. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations also of the hills moved and were shaken because He was wroth. There went up a smoke out of His nostrils, and fire out of His mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also, and came down and darkness was under his feet and he rode upon a cherub and did fly yea he did fly upon the wings of the wind he made darkness his secret place his pavilion round about him were dark waters and thick clouds of the skies at the brightness that was before him his thick clouds passed hailstones and coals of fire the lord also thundered in the heavens and the highest gave his voice hailstones and coals of fire. That's happened a couple times. That sounds frightening, doesn't it? Yea, He sent out His arrows and scattered them. And He shot out lightnings and discomfited them. Then the channels of waters were seen and the foundation of the world were discovered at Thy rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of Thy nostrils. He sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from them which hated me, for they were too strong for me. He prevented me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me because He delighted in me. Let's pray. Lord, we love You. We thank You tonight for the deliverance that we have read about in this passage. We thank You, Lord, that You are there and able and desiring to deliver us tonight as well. Help us, O God, to have hearts that are able just to be lifted up to You now. God, that our hearts would be open to Your Word. God, I pray that You would open up my heart and my mind and my mouth, that You would speak, that You would give me what I need tonight as well. Lord, that we'd be obedient to You. God, that's what we need more than anything is just simple, faithful obedience to You. Lord, help us to do that in all things. God, have Your will in Your way tonight. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here tonight, this psalm goes from really great in verses 1 through 3, where we're on high ground, right? The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my God, all these things. And then David goes from the top of the high tower, if you will, to now he's in the bottom of the valley below. He's been beat up, 
tossed around, kicked. He got ran over. Then they, the enemy put it in reverse, ran back over him, and then ro- ran back over top of him, he felt like. Now, I know he don't exactly put it that way, but how he puts it is pretty similar when you think. The sorrows of death compassed me. Floods of ungodly men made me afraid. Sorrows of hell compassed me about. Snares of death prevented me. David begins this song by describing his deliverer in verses 1-3. through three. Now, you and I have got to know what God is like before we know to trust Him. Now, when we know who God is, what He's like, and we, we went through that series at the beginning of this year, and, and to see who God is and, and responding to His revealing of how God says, this is who I am, this is what I'm like, this is what I've done, what I'm doing, what I'm going to do. Now, now David, he responds and he says, I will love Thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock. He's my fortress. He's all of these things, not just to me because I think about God like this, but it's because that's how God revealed Himself to David. That David was a military man. David was a warrior. He was a fighter. Now, he might not have been the tallest, the biggest, or the strongest. Maybe even not the wisest. Or even at times in his life, the most pure at heart. But he was a man after God's own heart. He was a man of faith. A man of faith. As small as he might be, as insignificant as he might be. He might never be a king. He might not never be a, a warrior or a commander of armies. But a man or a woman of faith can be used of God greatly and can see that God is the one that we must depend upon for all things. David could have trusted in chariots. He could have trusted in spears. He could have trusted in his armies. He could have trusted in anything, but he chose to trust in the Lord. Now verses 4-6 through then describe his distress. Now I'm thankful that David spends less description on his distress than he does his deliverer. Notice that his focus, first and foremost in this song, is not how bad things are, but rather how good God is and who God is. That's how our prayer life should be. That's what our daily Christian walk should look like. It should be understanding that God is much greater than our distress. God is much bigger than our trouble. God is much bigger even than our sin. David knew this, experienced this. What we also find though, though not specifically given by name, this psalm is pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is Jesus who is our strength, our rock, our fortress, our deliverer, our God, the one that we trust, our buckler, the horn of our salvation, our high tower, the one that we call upon, who is worthy to be praised, who saves us from our enemies. Jesus saved us from a greater enemy than David faced. David faced a temporary enemy in a temporary time, in a temporary world. Jesus has saved us from sin. He has snatched us from hell. He has snatched us and delivered us so that the grave no longer has its sting. So when we read this, we must put in mind that David is looking forward to a much greater salvation than what we realize. We often think here that David is just looking at this sort of mentality of, Lord, it's getting thick, it's getting deep, it's getting bad, the the battle's getting hot, get me out of it. But David is trusting in an end-time mentality. The Old Testament saints, when you read about their life, when they asked the Lord to deliver, they had a focus on the future as well, not just on here and now, because they knew even if I die in battle, even if the enemy does take my life, I will be with the Lord. And so David knew this, he trusts this, but nevertheless, David still prays as you and I do, Lord, deliver me. God desires such. When you and I call out to God for deliverance, 
whether it's from sin, whether it's from an enemy, whether it's from sorrow or grief or pain, God hears. God hears because of who He is described to be in verses 1-3. through It's His character. It's His nature. But furthermore, God cares much more about you than even you care about you. And I know about me, I care about me an awful lot. Much more than I'd care to admit. We're a prideful people. We love ourselves. But God loves us more. We love ourselves in a way that leads to sin, but God loves us so much in a way that leads to our deliverance. Now, God delights to deliver His people. It is His nature even to nurture us as a heavenly Father through all seasons of our life. We just discovered verse 6 last time we looked at this passage and saw that our problems must lead us to praying. Praying puts legs on faith. It trusts God, depends upon God, and you and I must never leave that state of our Christian life. We don't mature out of depending upon God. And as a matter of fact, a sign of your maturity spiritually will be that you depend upon God even more so than ever before. The, the babe in Christ has just trusted Jesus for their eternity. That's a big step, isn't it? But I think even a larger step is as we mature in sanctifying grace is that we begin to trust God with moment by moment. Not just simply to get us out of hell. Not just simply to keep us from an eternity away from Him, but rather that we trust Him to provide for every dollar, nickel, penny we got. That we trust Him with every bill. We trust Him with every sorrow. We trust Him with every teardrop. We trust Him with every problem that comes our way. That is the sign of Christian maturity. Prayer calls upon the Lord to act on our behalf. Even more so and specifically tonight, prayer calls upon the Lord to act on behalf of His adopted and forgiven child that now freely comes to Him through the blood of the Son and the power of the Spirit. We must see that God desires to act and to work through this. Now, verses 7-19 through 19, the first half of it, cover the description of the deliverance. And I want us to look at that tonight. Now as we look here and we see, this is a terrible sort of description. God is described as terrible and mighty. Now you and I use the word terrible. We hear you know, someone invites us over to our house for, for a cookout. We have chicken on a Sunday afternoon. And we think, man, that chicken, that, that's some terrible chicken you made. That's, we don't use it that way, do we? We don't use it as, man, that, that chicken you made that you grilled, it was the best chicken I ever had. If we say it's terrible, we, we're saying if it's terrible, that chicken, that thing was extra crispy. It wasn't good, right? When God is described as terrible, He's described as mighty. He's described as ferocious. And I want you to know, tonight, God is terrible. Fearful, even. Especially to those who do not know Him. Yet to the adopted son or daughter of God, that terror is not so terrible, but rather it is awe-inspiring. It goes from being absolutely frightened to approach God to now being frightened not to approach God. We need that sort of mentality where we are no longer afraid as His children to approach Him. You and I think, well, this thing in my life is not big enough to go to God about. It certainly is. Jesus did tell His disciples in the last few moments and times of His teaching where He tells them, without Me, you can do nothing. 
The idea is not you need me to assist you. You need me to help you out a little bit, give you a boost, right? I think about this, uh, a little kid on a, on a playground. Dad, help. Mom, help. Help me up the, the ladder here. And what does that mean? Come help me because I can't get that far. I need you to push on my rear end all the way up. And that's what happens. And they, they get them all the way up. God's not looking to do that. God is looking to live and to give and to breathe life in us, through us, for us. It is now the replacement of His life for ours. Our life for His. He's not looking to merely just be an assistant to us. As a matter of fact, now we are the, we are the, the, the assistant for Him. Lord, what would You have me to do? The best action that you and I can take is to trust in the action of the Lord. You and I get in trouble spiritually, physically, when we trust in our own doings. Now, you and I know, David knew, you can't trust in your works to save you, can you? Of course not. You can't trust in your works to save you or your action to save you. You can't trust in your action to sustain you or to sanctify you, let alone deliver you from an enemy. Especially when, as we're going to get into it, Lord willing, Kimmy's already thinking he's not going to get through it. But later on in this passage, as we read earlier, he says clearly that the enemy was too strong for me. The enemy might be too strong for you, but God is too strong for your enemy. We've got to understand this, the simple math here. Though the enemy and though your thoughts, though your pain and your sorrow and your grief, though the devil himself may seem to overpower you with strength, we have a God who is our rock and strength and fortress and deliverer, who is our shield and buckler and horn of salvation, high tower, the one who we call upon. God is greater and stronger than any enemy will ever face. Therefore, we should have confidence, I would even say joy, when there is a battle at hand. Because it's an opportunity for God to show Himself true and every man a liar. It's an opportunity for God to reveal Himself to be the great and mighty and divine deliverer of His people. One commentator wrote about this passage, God is concerned with the distress, as seen in verse 6, of His children. In order to heighten the effect, David first gives us a glimpse of God's reaction in heaven, verses 7 to 15. Then he describes the deliverance in 16 and 19. God's reaction in His heavenly glory is couched in the language of theophany. The psalmist describes the theophany in the language of humanity. Now here's the idea of a theophany. We have two theological terms I want us to, to get tonight. One is a theophany. One is a Christophany. A Christophany is this. It is an Old Testament appearing of Christ before His incarnation, which the incarnation is when Jesus came as a little babe, right? Wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, right? Now, you say, well, when did that happen? Well, I believe it's the voice of Jesus Himself coming out of the burning bush. I believe it's Jesus who wrestled with Jacob. I, I believe it's Jesus who walked with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I, I believe it's Jesus who is there very much. Now, what's a theophany? A theophany is this idea of God doing humanly attributes. Now, God is a spirit. Jesus is God in the flesh. He puts the body, if you will, upon the spirit for us to understand God, to see God, to lay eyes upon God. But what we find with this is the idea is that God Himself, if you will, 
is moving from the throne of heaven to deliver David. And this is no ordinary sort of, sort of thing. Now, I didn't have any siblings. And there weren't two of me. And my parents probably praise the Lord. They're celebrating 30-year anniversary today. So mom and dad, if you're watching, happy anniversary, right? 29 of it has been with me, so praise the Lord. <laughs> but I used to watch movies, Disney Channel or what have you, and there'd be this one nerdy kid, who, this, this brother, he'd get getting picked on, right? You know what he'd do? He'd say, wait till my big brother comes. When big brother comes, right, it's on. I'm ready to fight then because i got my big brother with me. What we find is this is much more than a, my big brother's coming. This is the God of the universe is moving on your behalf. Do you realize that every answer to prayer, every time that God delivers you from distress, the God of heaven and earth is moving heaven and earth for you? The God of heaven and earth is moving on your behalf. What are we that we are mind, that He would be mindful of us? Who are we that He would do such? We're nothing but dust. And yet God moves on your behalf to answer your prayer and to deliver you. Now that sounds awful feel-goody tonight, especially in comparison to how I normally preach, but this is the truth of the Bible, what we're clearly seeing about who God is and who we are now in Him. We should be encouraged and motivated to pray because the Lord desires to move for us. Now what is about to be described is the Lord's indignation and anger against those that have come against David, but it will also give detail to His intervention on behalf of David. God's indignation and intervention tell us more about God than it does about David or his adversaries, by the way. Anytime God delivers you, it tells much more about his faithfulness than it does yours. We just sang tonight, great is thy faithfulness, not great is my faithfulness. If we sang a song tonight that was great is my faithfulness, as far as that would go would be great is my faithfulness, that's it. I, wouldn't have, I couldn't even finish a verse. I'm not that faithful. Let alone have three verses in a, in a refrain. God is faithful. Now let's look at this before I get bogged down. Y'all believe me? Okay. I know when you're laughing with me and at me, okay? <laughs> now look here, verse 7. I want to look here at this description as we go through. God's attributes are seen in His action in delivering David. This is going to describe his indignation against David's enemy, but also describe his intervention on behalf of David here. Look at verse 7. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations also of the hills moved and were shaken because he was wroth. Here, verse 7, we find God's righteous anger seen as something that causes all else to tremble before him. There is coming another day in the future where God will do such and the entire world will be moved. Revelation describes a great earthquake. The Bible talks about these great earthquakes during the tribulation period that's going to shake literally everything. You and I, we could say, well, the tectonic plates are all going to move in one fell swoop with a great uh, mighty earthquake. Science could measure it, but I want you to know what it's going to be. It's going to be God moving and righteous judgment. There is nothing and no one in the end of all things that will not tremble before God. 
Now, you and I may tremble freely in the sense of knowing this, that while we might tremble at the thought of sinning before God, to be honest with you, it scares me every time I walk up here. Because I'm going to stand before Him. That does and should cause us to tremble. However, I don't tremble in a fear of going, oh no, I don't ever want to see Him, but I tremble in the sense of I will give an account, but there is going to be that day for me where He'll wipe away every tear I've got. I'll never cry another tear again and there'll be no more curse. So therefore, I can tremble now and tremble for what I might face the moment I see Him and am judged by His eyes as a flame of fire. But to know this, that He'll wipe away my tears and then with His eyes that aren't described in Revelation 21 and 22 anymore, I believe there will be eyes that welcome me home as a son will done, a servant, a faithful servant, to come into his kingdom, to, to live with him, to know his presence, to be able to gaze upon him forever. But there is a great trembling of all creation. The creation, even now, as we're told, groans, desiring to be delivered. And here, the creative order itself is trembling as he moves. But notice, it says, because he was wroth. You ever have somebody in your life where you go, ooh, don't make them angry? I've been mom, dad. Right now I see spouses looking at one another, looking back at other people, right? <laughs> you got somebody in mind, you're thinking, oh, don't make them wroth, right? There's a difference between angry and wroth, isn't there? Someone who's angry, anger comes and it goes. It's like this. Being wroth is different. This is pushed to the limit and it's overflowing. People say, well, God is love. He is. And He lovingly gets angry. He gets lovingly wrathful. And a love for His dear child David, but wrath against everyone that has come against Him. That's a great hope for you and I as well. Every enemy that's ever come against you, the great hope for this church tonight, by the way, Every enemy that's ever been inside this church or outside of this church will stand before God. If God has delivered time and time again. God will continue to do so. Everything you've got in your life that's coming against you cannot stand before Almighty God. Look at verse 8. There went up a smoke out of His nostrils and fire out of His mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. We want to talk about some hot heat. His very breath. Look at this. I believe that verse 8 is very important to note here. There's smoke from his nostrils, fire from his mouth, and coals were kindled by it. Now there's several important things in the Old Testament and new alike that deal with all three of these things. Now if we understand... Smoke and fire out of his mouth remind us of his holiness and the presence of his holiness. There in the Abrahamic covenant, God puts Abraham to sleep, and Abraham doesn't do the covenant walk. God does it for him. God says, I will do this. Now what is said is that what passes through is there's smoke and fire. It's the Lord himself and the description. Now let's fast forward about 400 years past Abraham. And a matter of fact, in that covenant that God gives to Abraham, even says, in 400 years, your, your descendants are going to come out of Egypt, come out of the people, and they'll be delivered. You fast 400 years, and guess what was happening? The Exodus. God knew what He was doing, didn't He? 
Now, in this, they come out of Egypt. They make it to Sinai after God had already delivered them from Pharaoh and his army by having the Red Sea crash in on them and destroy them like that because they're nothing in comparison. Moses didn't have to gather up his men and draw swords or grab a handful of sticks and, and charge. No. God took care of it. There on the mountain though, Mount Sinai, God gives the law. And the way in which He descends upon that mountain, it is much described like verses 7 and 8 of this psalm. There's trembling, there's fear, there's fire, there's smoke. We find God's holiness, His character, overwhelming everywhere that He goes. But notice as well, it says that even out of His mouth, the fire comes out of His mouth and coals were kindled by it. I I grill with a charcoal grill. I use a, a charcoal chimney. None of you guys care about this, and that's fine. But I take old newspaper ads from Food City and Food Lion. We go through, we make our list. I take them then. And I, I ball them up, and I stick them underneath, and I put the charcoal all the way up to the top. Then you light that paper, and as that wind blows through, fire starts to go. And then I don't dump out those coals until they're all up to the top, good and white and hot. And there's no more smoke coming out of the chimney. It's just that blue and orange glow. That's how you know it's hot. You take it, you dump it, you sprout the coals, you burn your fingers, right? That's just what happens. With this, though, there's an interesting understanding of this that I believe we have to... It's not in my notes, but, but here, here, here we go. In the tabernacle and in the temple, you had the place of offering. You had the place where the offering was made, where there were kept coals. It had to be kindled. It had to be hot. A place for burning an offering for the worship of God. To honor His holiness. To honor His character. To honor His deliverance. Because by the way, every time a sacrifice was made, it was to praise God for His deliverance from sin. Whether it be on the Day of Atonement for another year, or sin by sin as the people came and gave offering. Now, furthermore, we see as well in Isaiah chapter 6 when God reveals Himself to Isaiah and Isaiah sees Him there upon the throne with His uh, train that, that fills the temple. He says that the, the angels there that are singing holy, 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 that they fly over to the altar before God, which we're told in the Bible that the heavenly, that, well, excuse me, that the earthly tabernacle and temple were a picture of the heavenly and they take off a live coal. That's what we would call one of those hot glowing ones, and they placed it upon Isaiah's lips because he had been unclean, his own lips, and been amongst a generation of people that were unclean. And it purifies. What do we find here? There went up a smoke out of his nostrils and fire of his mouth, and coals were kindled by it. When God moves, He purifies. Hebrews 12 tells us this. It describes much of what we've talked about already. Hebrews 12, verse 19 says, And the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated, that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. This is taking place in describing them at Sinai. For they could not endure that which was commanded. If if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight. The sight of what? 
the Son of God moving upon the mountain. It says this, that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. Moses, God's man. But Hebrews tells us, but ye are coming to Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and unto innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Verse 9. He bowed the heavens or bowed the heavens also and came down and darkness was under His feet. Here we find that continued divine warrior understanding that God is coming to do battle not against His people, but rather for His people. Who would you like to fight for you? Oh, I'd like to have the Lord fight for me. You know, you often think about this. If things get rough, who do you want on your team? If someone comes and wants to rough you up a bit, you might look around and you know, pick a few. I'm picking Miss Shirley. I'm taking her in a rumble. She's going to give somebody. What for? Right? When we think about this though, we can laugh about all those cases, all what ifs. Be honest with you, I don't want to fight a, a single body in this world. <laughs> but spiritually, you know who I want? I want the Lord to fight my battles. I don't want to fight my battles, to be honest with you. I don't want to fight any of them. I hate conflict. I hate spiritual battles. I'm a wimp, a scaredy cat, and I'd rather just run away. But God is the divine warrior who fights on behalf of His people. He comes down. Notice this. This is important. He bowed the heavens also and came down. He comes down. That shows His action, but it also shows, shows His condescension that He would literally step foot into this world to fight for David. That's how much He cares for David. That's how much He cared for you and I that He stepped down into this world to put on flesh and fought the greatest fight that was ever fought and that was against sin. He won the battle. There upon the cross and there in the empty tomb. We find that He comes in condescension and condemnation against those who have come against His own. In verse 10, He rode upon a cherub and did fly. Yea, He did fly upon the wings of the wind. The idea of this is not so much that God has to rally up some chariots and some horses or angels to try to get Him down here. God can do as He so pleases. 
This is to help us understand the swiftness of God moving. The wings of the wind. It sounds like an 80's song, but it's not. This is describing how quickly God moves. God moves. God moves just like that for His people. Look at this. This swiftness of God's wrath against His enemies and the deliverance of His own is described here at the same time. You and I often think, because we understand that God does as He sees fit, His ways are not our ways, His timing is not our timing. Would you agree with that tonight? Here's the thing. When God does anything, He does it swiftly. When God moves, for Him, it's like that. A day is as a thousand years for Him. It's nothing. A thousand years is a day. Time for Him means nothing. It's like that. But for you and I, we sit here on this earth as the enemy comes in and we go, oh Lord, how long? And David will have plenty of psalms. Lord, how long? How long? How long, oh Lord? God's going, what's wrong with you down there? When God delivers, He's never done it slowly. It's only been slow from our perspective. From our perspective, God has taken His married time. But from God's perspective, there's never been a time where He's just been slow or lethargic to answer on behalf of His people. Do you know that every time that you pray and God answers it, He answers it the same day? It's already answered before you've ever prayed it, by the way. He's already got His answer. He's already dealing with it. He's already working in that situation before you even pray. He's already dealing and helping your grief, being your strength. The issue is whether or not we have it applied by faith and accept what He has already given. God always acts swiftly from His perspective, but often for us, it's slow. It's been said and sung that God is always on time. It's His time and not ours. And it's much better to operate trusting His time than ours anyways. It's much better to trust in a God that we think is slow than to not trust Him at all. Though it may seem slow, in your state you've been praying weeks, months, maybe years, when God answers, it's like that. And look at verse 11 to 14. Here we find the brightness and description of God which just overwhelms everything, how He moves. He made darkness His secret place. Meaning this, the darkness can't hide from God. The darkness cannot overwhelm God. God is described not just God is love, but God is light. In Him is no darkness at all. His pavilion round about Him were dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. Now, let's look at this from the human perspective here. We've got to understand from a Jewish perspective and from a historical and biblical and human standpoint, dark waters are scary. Are they not? Now, anyone ever flown over the ocean before? Did you like it? If you did, you're crazy. I can swim as good as they come, and, I, and I'm real good at floating. But I don't want to do it with 2,000 foot of water underneath me. 
when we go to the beach, you know how far I get in the water? That's it. That's as far as I'm making it. You know why? There's an awful lot of fear with that. It's an unknown is the idea. It's frightening. But there's nothing in those dark waters that is not known to God. Not one molecule of water, not one cup of ocean, not one fish. God knows every bit in there. knows every grain of sand. And when God moves here, furthermore, we see the dark waters, thick clouds of the skies. How many of y'all get a little uneasy with big thunderstorms that come through? Right? You see those dark clouds start to roll in, right? It makes you a little nervous. You're going, okay, go get away from the windows, light the candles, prep the generator, all this stuff. I, I hate this story. I'm ready for it to go by, right? Why? Because it describes such fear. Dark waters, dark clouds, thick clouds. He is overwhelming the enemy. It says, and at the brightness that was before him, his thick clouds passed by. Notice that even in God and his mercy, he envelops himself in clouds to protect us. You say, what does that even mean? Well, notice that every time that we find in the Bible, it says that no man has seen God and lived because we can't live. When God showed up at Sinai, how did he show up? In the clouds. How did he lead his people? By day, that is. Cloud by day. Pillar of fire by night. Why? It's His presence, but it also shows His protection. Where God is, His people are safe. God was already with David, but here, God is saying, I'm making a big entrance to show just who I am and what I will do for my children that are in distress that call for Me. The primacy the supremacy of God is greater than the storm of these sinful folks who have come against David. He says that the thick clouds that passed, hailstones and coals of fire, the Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the highest gave His voice, hailstones and coals of fire. John hears the voice of God in Revelation chapter 1, and it says as if it was this great trumpet, and he turns around to see where it came from, and he falls as a dead man. Find that God's voice makes everything quake and shake and fear and tremble. Now you and I say, I thought He talked like a still small voice to those that are His. To those that aren't have a great deal to fear. Now look at this. Highest gave His voice. God speaks, He does so with absolute authority but as well as absolute compassion and love for His people. Hailstones, coals of fire again. Yea, He sent out His arrows. This is the idea of Him being a warrior. His arrows, and He shot out lightnings. He scattered them. He discomfited them. He drives away the enemy. Let me ask you, what armor is there against the arrows of God? There's none. What can stand against God moving against it? Nothing. Now, for you and I that are on His side and in Christ, 
This is wonderful news, but to those that aren't, there should be nothing that is more frightening or fearful. When God is against something, He's against it all the way. When God is against someone, He's against them all the way. God moves. And the opposite is true. When God is for someone, He's for them all the way. If God be for us, who can be against us? None. Now look, furthermore, we see the darkness of the storm, of His wrath. This is frightening because from those that don't know the Lord, the darkness of the storm of God's presence hides the beauty of His brightness. All they see and know is His wrath and judgment coming. David can see through the cloud and see the beauty of God who is His strength, His God, His rock, His fortress. You and I can do the same as well. He continues and he says, The channels of waters are open and the foundation of the world were discovered, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of Thy nostrils. He sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from them which hated me, for they were too strong for me. Guzik writes, David set phrase upon phrase in describing the great work of God on his behalf. According to David's description, God moved heaven, sky, earth, and sea to deliver David. Significantly, we might see that David could only really see this once his deliverance was accomplished. In the midst of his trial, David had many reasons and occasions to wonder where the delivering hand of God was. God's deliverance is always seen most clearly looking back. Looking forward, it is often only seen by faith. You and I will only see God moving if we trust God is moving. You and I will only see that God delivers, oftentimes only after He's delivered. But make sure that when He delivers you, you thank Him for it. Do not forget the deliverance of God. As a matter of fact, many of the Psalms are going to be retelling all the times that God delivers people. There's an entire Psalm, and you and I know it as the one that says, For His mercy endureth forever. Now, we focus on that, and as we ought to, it's good, isn't it? Every verse, His mercy endureth forever. But what happens before that part? Every time it is recounting an act of God on behalf of His people. Entire chapters devoted to the fact that His people would rebel against Him, and yet, God would bring them right back. God's people would be in danger. He'd provide. They'd be thirsty, weary, tired, hungry. Whatever it might be, God would provide. Here in verse 15 and 16, we see that God delivers from the flood of foes that have come against David. He draws him out of many waters. The idea before David had said that he had a... Uh, we'll look back here for a moment. He said, The Saul's death can pass me and the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. The idea is that David's saying, I'm in these dark, deep waters. I'm drowning. And God draws him up and out. He draws him out of there. Notice this about God, and I love this. He doesn't merely toss David a life preserver and say, Good luck! Swim diagonally to the current! No. He goes in and he scoops him up himself. I'll take that any day. Now look, 
the rest of these verses. He delivered me from my strong enemy, from them which hated me, for they were too strong for me. That's humility right there, isn't it? We don't like to say anyone's stronger than us, tougher than us, meaner than us, more spiritual than us, more knowledgeable of God than us. David knows how to humble himself. You want to know the heart that gets delivered by God? It's the humble heart. The humble heart that not only can express their distress to God, but as well express their dependence upon God. That's the heart that is not only delivered, but sees their deliverance by faith and can praise God through it. He says, they prevented me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. God was everything for David. He was everything that David needed him to be and then some. You and I often underestimate who God is and what He is capable of doing. When God moves, He moves. When God defends His people, He defends His people. Your best defense is not your defense. It's His. Let Him take care of it. I'm too weak anyway. He's able, and I'm not. You get into verse 19, he says, He brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me. David is delivered from the place of distress, a place of pressing into a spacious place. And this directs our minds to David's focus, which is a place of rest like the promised land. It was what Israel was supposed to be, a time of peace that David never got to see a whole lot of. But nevertheless, David was promised, one day you will, David. And it's going to be a whole lot better. As a matter of fact, one of your sons, and it wouldn't be his biological son right down the line, it would be on down the line. His name was Jesus, who was set upon his throne. Rule and reign would bring about peace. Shiloh, Shalom, the way of peace. The Prince of Peace. 7.24, good, here we go. <laughs> That's point one. Point two is that, sh- that's that short though. Look, it's not bad. It's this. He delivered me because He delighted in me. I don't, can't wrap my brain around that. I have nothing in my opinion from my perspective, that God can delight in. I offer nothing. I've got nothing that adds to the attributes of God. I've got nothing that adds to His glory above. I've got nothing that adds to His power on high. Yet He delights in me. He delights in David. He delights in all those that are His. You know why? Because they are His. God delights in our dependence upon Him. Brings Him great joy to deliver His people. Brings Him great joy to bring you from the pit of sorrow and despair. To draw you out of the troubled waters. So let me ask us all in my own heart tonight, why does it not bring us joy to go to God and ask for deliverance? It should. We often fight battles that God desires to fight for us. 
we often fight battles when God could have delivered us already. When in God's eyes, He already has, but the issue is we have yet to trust Him for it. God delights in those dependent upon Him by faith, and David trusts in God's delightful deliverance. Always knew this growing up, that if I had somebody who was messing with me or stronger than me, and maybe gave me a licking, my dad was bigger than their dad. He was bigger than most dads. And I knew he was meaner and tougher and scarier than all their dads combined too. Never forget, even in college, had somebody after my dad had come and picked up some stuff to help me get moved back home. And he leaves and they come up to me and they said, he's much more frightening than I realized. <laughs> you made him out to be much more gentle in what he looks like, but he was so godly and nice and sweet and caring. I said, oh, he just wants you to think that. You know. But I always knew. My dad is big enough to deliver me. And if there happens to be somebody bigger than my dad and stronger and tougher than my dad, then I've got my mom. And if dad can't beat him up, mom sure can. Y'all ever have a situation like that? David knows. In all of his military might and experience, my enemy is too strong. But God can. Not only that God can, but my God who is my God, my fortress, my rock, delights to do so. Guzik writes, we can say that David meant this in two ways. First, he delighted in David in the sense that he chose him, anointed him, and set his marvelous loving kindness upon him. Second, he delighted in David because he lived a righteous life as explained in the following verses, which we're not going to get into tonight. Spurgeon put it this way. Deliverance from sin, deliverance from evil propensities, deliverance from spiritual enemies, each deliverance bears evidence of God's love to us. How much He delights in you is not possible to say. The Father delights in you and looks upon you with doting love like as a father takes pleasure in his child, so does He rejoice over you. I can't put it better than that. So I'm not going to try. God delights to deliver. We must understand tonight that our deliverance from any situation, we know it's for our good, but we must understand it's as well for His glory. God is glorified when He delivers us. God is glorified when we depend upon Him for His strength, for His deliverance. But it always causes us to be filled with faith, to strengthen our faith, to increase our faith. But as well, and most naturally so, when our faith is strengthened and our faith is increased, the praise of God is increased and strengthened. It goes up and up and up. Deliverance from all things is available. It is only applied by faith in the God who is able to deliver. You and I can trust tonight. Though you and I will face difficulties and tribulations in this life till we die, 
there is coming a full and final day where God will move on behalf of His people. Deliverance will come fully when we leave this world behind and we see God face to face. There is coming a day where God will move once more on behalf of His people. He will stand up and His enemy will fall down. and You and I will be with Him and so shall we ever be. Tonight, if you're discouraged, I want you to turn that into the light in the Lord. To simply know this tonight, if you don't know anything else, you can rest assured because He delighted in me. Y'all want to know something about David? David didn't always trust as he was supposed to. He wasn't always a man of faith as he was supposed to be. He lusted. He committed adultery. He covered up his sin, essentially committing murder in the process of his, one of his best men, a faithful man, by the way. God still delighted in him. Now what have you done that's worse than Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Israel, Saul, David, Solomon, any of the kings, any of the judges? Nothing. God delights in His people. May we delight in a dependence upon God and delight in depending upon Him for deliverance for every single need in your life. There is nothing too small nor too great that God can't deliver you from. Nothing too small or too great that God somehow doesn't delight to deliver you from. May we praise the Lord who delights to deliver His people. Let's pray. Lord, we love You. We thank You for this night. We thank You for deliverance. We thank You for Your faithfulness. Your care for us is so careful, so precise, and so loving. Lord, we can't grasp it or wrap our brains around why. But Lord, if anything, we can simply trust it's because it's who You are. It's not because of who we are. Lord, help us tonight to come to You for everything in this life, to trust in Your delivering hand, to trust that You will move on our behalf. May we praise You, worship You, glorify You, and honor You in all things. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.